not let sin exercise dominion in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. No longer present your members to sin as instruments of wickedness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Should we sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you, having once been slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the form of teaching to which you were entrusted, and that you, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to greater and greater iniquity, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness for sanctification. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. So what advantage did you then get from the things of which you now are ashamed? The end of those things is death. And now that you have been freed from sin and enslaved to God, the advantage you get is sanctification. The end is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church.
God of our hearts and our stories, make us curious about you, your hearts, and your stories. Amen. As tempting as it is to dive into the gospel reading we just heard and try to unpack Jesus' speech to his disciples about karma and the rewards that will come to us when we welcome others, I'm thinking that to do so, would be a bit of an easy way out today. In case you didn't notice, the Old Testament reading was a bit alarming. I decided to do a little research on Abraham and Isaac this week, and I found that many scholars of all three major Abrahamic religions have dedicated much time, energy, research, and thought to the story of the binding of Isaac. I also discovered that there are a disturbing number of cartoons depicting Abraham knife raised over a tied up cartoon Isaac. The clip art drawings are the worst, but the actual animated cartoons are pretty disturbing too. And it makes me wonder if we make this story into something trite, because if we looked at the reality of it, we would break. Let me give you a little recap on this decidedly not-child-friendly story. Abraham, God's chosen one, hears God tell him to take his only and beloved son up a mountain and offer him as a sacrifice, a burnt offering. So Abraham, in agonizing obedience, sets out with Isaac on the three-day journey. Then, at the last minute, Isaac is saved by an angel who stops Abraham and points out a ram in the thicket to sacrifice instead. Maybe as this was read today, you wondered about the story, or maybe it got by you because it's so familiar that you simply overlooked it, like the awful 1960s wallpaper in your grandmother's kitchen. Or maybe the story of Abraham and Isaac is nostalgic to you as you learned it as a child in Sunday school or vacation Bible school because it has been used over and over again to teach children obedience. This is not a historically uncommon lesson to offer repeatedly to our children. Perhaps you've never heard the story before and in your first hearing of it, you are now looking for a good spot in the service to run away and get away from this crazy place and our crazy Maybe you, like me, know the story well and have always been uncomfortable with it. 
There is a Jewish tale that says that the only reason that God spoke directly to Abraham, requesting that Abraham kill his son, was that none of the angels were willing to deliver such a message. Not only is the killing of one's offspring rather despicable, but God had already promised Abraham that a nation of people would come from Isaac, and Isaac was still a boy, or at least a young man, and had not yet had a chance to start making that promised nation of offspring. God's request simply did not make sense. Besides all of this, Abraham had recently been asked to sacrifice his other son, Ishmael, born of Sarah's slave girl, Hagar. Ishmael and his mother were banished into the wilderness because Sarah was worried that Ishmael would share in Isaac's inheritance. And now it seems that Isaac was to be sacrificed as well before he could either inherit or fulfill God's promise. Muslim, Jewish, and Christian scholars alike have a great number of things to say about the situation. Some Christians and Jews say that Abraham knew he would ultimately not have to kill Isaac because Abraham knew God still needed Isaac to have offspring before Isaac died. Others think Abraham believes that God would raise Isaac from the dead. Some believe that Abraham misheard God's request that Isaac be sacrificed because God would never ask for the sacrifice of a child, while others say that child sacrifice was not actually abnormal at all in the 21st century BCE. In the Islamic tradition, there is a holiday to celebrate Abraham's willingness to obey God at all costs. This holiday has different names depending on where you are in the world. I lived in a West African village in the Peace Corps, and in my area, the holiday was called Tabasco. The most exhausting, joyful dancing I have ever danced was on Tabasco, with a bunch of West Africans in a dusty circle where it was fun and it fixed together and sang songs about Abraham for hours. The songs were in local languages, and I did not understand them, but when I asked people to explain Tabasco to me in French, I got many different versions, and I think it's not just having to do with my awful French. I think that there were a lot of different understandings of this story. So this week I looked it up to see what the Quran says. But the Quran, like parts of our Bible, was rather vague. Which is why Muslims don't seem to agree even upon which son was to be sacrificed, Ishmael or Isaac. Most people believe that the son was Ishmael, and that Isaac was born afterwards as a reward to Abraham for his faithfulness. But some agree with Jewish and Christian traditions that the son was Isaac. The Quran does not actually name the almost sacrificed son. So all of that is a tiny, tiny bit of what Christians, Jews, and Muslims have been chatting about for hundreds of years. A beloved agnostic in my life has his own take on the story. He said, if people in our world feel inconvenienced by stopping to help someone on the side of the road, or volunteering, or giving money to charities, they should look at what Abraham is willing to sacrifice. So, while I want to write this story off as just another old story that represents a God who does not seem to be the God of love that I believe in, I realize that this story, for some reason, is very important. And who am 
especially when it is clear that many others have been courageous enough to really engage this story, even when they have found it to be incredibly difficult. So I will not discount the story. I will wonder about it and wonder what it may have to teach me today, and I invite you to do the same. Now one thing that sticks out for me is that in the beginning of the story, we hear God's voice saying, Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, offer him as a burnt offering. God is essentially saying, Father of many, take your only son, the only one who could actually make you a father of many, the one who you named laughter and kill him. After the initial shock, disgust, and perhaps sense of irony, we might move to another layer, a layer where Abraham is asked not just to sacrifice the one who loves the most, but to sacrifice his own definition of who he is. He has begun, I can only imagine, to know himself as Father Abraham, the one chosen by God to father a nation. And maybe, just maybe, was too attached to that sense of self. Maybe, just maybe, I am too attached to who I am as a priest, as mom, as artist, as youngish, white, middle-class woman. Maybe we get too attached to any number of ways that we see ourselves, when really, at the end of the day, the only truth about ourselves that matters is that we are beloved children of God. No matter our roles in life, our success level, our talents, our downfalls, weaknesses, or actions, it is our belovedness that defines us above all else. If Abraham sacrificed Isaac, he would be sacrificing all he knew to be true about himself, except that he knew he loved and trusted God and that God loved and trusted him. Maybe he knew God would provide an alternative. Maybe he didn't. Maybe any number of things was or wasn't true about this important story. Maybe the whole thing is a sacred myth. What I do believe is true is that we can, and maybe should, hold pretty loosely to most of our understandings about ourselves, world, and even our understandings about God, about these sacred stories that we have held on to for so long. But we need not ever doubt or wonder about the depth of God's love for us, and the reality that who we are, at our very core, is beloved, even if all else is stripped away. Two thousand years after the life of Abraham, Jesus came to live with us. Some years after Jesus died, a disciple named Paul wrote a letter to Rome, a letter we read part of today. And in it he said that the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. The first free gift was our belovedness as God's own creation. Perhaps the next major free gift was eternal life brought to us by Christ. I believe that those two gifts come no matter what else about our personal or collective story is true. Belovedness and eternal life 
are inevitably ours by the grace of God.
Leary and Veterans Ministry for the peace and unity of the Church of God. For Catherine, our presiding bishop, for Tom and Gail, our bishops, and for Alan, our bishop elect, for Tony and Becky, our priests, for Rob, Marvin, Judy, and Janet, our priest associates, and for all bishops and other ministers. For Pray especially for Helen, Lindsay's family, Kenny, Ethel, Barbara, the Cleary family, Carrie, Jesuma, Carl, Victor, Jim, and Sue, Wynn, Jackie, Lawrence, Wynn, Isabel, and family, Don, Ben, Jenny, Robin, Rev, Reverend Jim, May, Margaret, Michael, Amy, Spencer, and Louisa, Neil, Peggy, Kenneth, Sharon, Olive, Bishop Tom, Kathy, Aliona, Reverend Stephen, Susan, Deborah, Jane, Eric, Edie, Liz, those without jobs, those serving the military, and those working for peace. Are there others? Hear us, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for all the blessings of this life. We will exalt you, O God, our King. We pray for all who have died, remembering especially Donald Damon, close friend of Cheryl and Charlie Wolfbrook, and Lindsay Watkins, cousin of the farming family. Are there others? Lord, let your loving kindness be upon them. Pray to you also for the forgiveness of our sins. Have mercy upon us, most merciful Father. In your compassion, forgive us our sins. No one can unknown. It is not enough done now. And is so uphold us by your spirit, that we may live and serve you.
glad you're here. We hope that you'll stop at our welcome table and tell us who you are and ask any questions you may have. Um, Tony, our rector, is not here today. This weekend, he did his fourth of four weddings in about a month. And Tom Long Island for that right now. And I think it's just exhausting to do four weddings. And he's not actually going to be back to until Thursday. Um, but he will be in the office on Thursday. And I want to thank Judy Crooney for celebrating the rest of the day.
in the name of his congregation, will send you forth very that those to whom we go may share with us the communion of Christ's body and blood. May God bless you with discomfort and easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships, so that you may live deep within your heart. And may God bless you with anger and injustice, and exploitation of people, so that you may work for justice, freedom, and peace. Amen. And may God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, rejection, starvation, and war, so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and turn their pain into joy. Amen. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in this world so that you can do what others claim cannot be done. Amen. And the blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and among you, and with you,